Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather and to sing and to worship, Lord, to now open the truth of your word. I pray you would challenge us, Father. I pray we would hear from you. I pray we would uh, be transformed, Father, more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Take your Bibles and open to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We are continuing our series today, Jesus, the long-awaited one. We're walking through the life and times of Jesus. Uh, We're continuing from this idea over Christmas of the one, all about who Jesus is, about his life, about his ministry. And we've we've been team teaching this. It's been really neat for me. Uh, Joe, a couple of weeks ago, John last week, Matt will be coming up as well, so you're hearing from our team, and I just love the fact that you're hearing from other ministers. Uh, I love the fact these guys are being challenged every week now to study and and prepare and bring the word to you. Uh, I love that the Lord has blessed our church with a lot of men who can proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's cool for me, Uh, and it's really cool for me because when I'm not preaching, I get to walk around and see things and meet people and I get out to go in the parking lot and see how parking is and walk to some Sunday school class, life groups, I'm sorry, I almost said it wrong, uh, get to go to the nursery and see what's going on with preschool and children. And so it's been neat for me, it's been exciting for me, but, but I hope through the last several weeks, uh, you've really been challenged in your faith, I hope you've learned more about Jesus, I hope you've learned about more uh, about who he is and, and what he accomplished, and so we've kind of been walking through, really since his birth, kind of touch points Main ideas, Joe did the calling of the disciples a couple of weeks ago. John did the story of Nicodemus. This morning is going to be the woman at the well. And so I want to kind of ask you a question. Uh, I want you to kind of think a little bit this morning about the idea of sharing your faith. And so the question is, what are you doing on a regular basis to share your faith? What are you doing on a regular basis to have conversations with somebody about Jesus. We're, we're good at uh, saying all the right things in our small groups. We're good about saying the right things at church. We're good about the conversations we have. Uh, but sometimes when we step outside of kind of the, the box of church out into the world, sometimes we leave those things behind. And so I think the challenge this morning is, how am I living for Jesus uh, the rest of the week, right? The hundred and whatever 68 other hours of the week that I have, how am I living for him and all those other hours? How am I walking in faithfulness to him? And based on our model this morning in in John chapter four, how am I sharing the story with all those that will hear? And we're gonna see a really interesting contrast this morning. I'm gonna spend some real time getting that in just a few minutes, but the contrast between John chapter three and Nicodemus, John chapter four, the woman at the well. I want you to see how Jesus responds to this woman, and I want you to see how Jesus leads her to understand something that she had never quite 
heard before. So let's jump right in. John chapter four, beginning in verse one. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, verse four is important. And he had to pass through Samaria. We'll come back to that idea here in just a minute. Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Right, So we're Old Testament now looking back on what was. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, this was an important idea, right? This idea of living water. We see it really throughout this text. We see it in the discussion and there's several key ideas I want you to gather. Remember, the, 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 the idea is always to draw truth out, right? What is the truth that the Lord has given us here? What truths can we draw out and then apply to our lives? Here's the first one I want you to see. Number one, the living water is available to all who believe. The living water is available to all who Believe. Now, let's understand the setting here. I want you to kind of understand the context and the history in order to understand this main idea. All right? Jesus is tired. He's thirsty. He's been on this long journey, right? It points really to the humanity of Jesus. We talk a lot about the divinity of Jesus, and we would say he's fully God and fully man. And we see texts like this where he's thirsty and he's tired. It reminds us that he was human just like we are. But the idea of water, and specifically living water, really dominates this text. In fact, from verses 7 to 15, the word water is used 10 different times. But Jesus is going to do something very interesting here. Jesus is going to take this idea of physical water and the discussion of drinking physical water, and he's going to turn the conversation from the physical to the spiritual. And so as we're kind of thinking through in our lives, what what do the conversations look like that we're having with other people? What does it look like when we share our faith? What does it look like when we tell other people about Jesus? 
a lot of that hinges on our ability to take the normal conversations we're having throughout our week and turn those to the spiritual, right? How do we take the normal conversations sitting around lunch? How do we take the normal conversations in the classroom? How do we take the conversations before practice? How, how do we take the conversations we're having dinner with friends? How do we take those conversations from the, the, the physical, the normal things that we talk about, how do we take those and turn those into spiritual things, right? How can we take these conversations and in some way insert the idea of Jesus? How can we tell others all he has done for us, right? Here's how Jesus does it in verse 10, right? They're talking about thirst. They're talking about a well. They're talking about drinking water. And then Jesus says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying, do you give me a drink? You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I can remember when my kids were real little trying to figure out, right? We were always uh, intentional. We tried to be intentional with our kids to bring the things of the Lord into conversation. And I can remember when our kids were little, it doesn't work quite as much when they're bigger, but when they were little, or at least this type of conversation, we still try to have conversations about the Lord. But the way we did it when they were younger were different. And I can remember saying things like we'd get in the car and we'd be driving, it was cold or rainy, and I would say something like, aren't you thankful the Lord has given us a warm, dry car to ride in? Aren't you glad the Lord has given us a house that we can sleep in and be comfortable, right? Maybe at work. And aren't you glad the Lord has blessed us with life today? Aren't you glad the Lord has blessed us with health, right? So we're thinking and always trying to figure out how can I think about the things of the Lord. So Jesus does this here by getting in this idea of living water. But I want you to understand the context here because it's very important for us as we think through our lives and how we respond. There's some, there's some important things here you need to get. The first one is that if you were a Jew in the first century, the Samaritans to you were kind of the scum of the earth and vice versa. They just didn't like each other. There was no love lost between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. So back in verse 4, I think, when Jesus says, I have to go through Samaria, the idea normally is when you leave Jerusalem, you would have gone around Samaria to get to Galilee because the Jewish people didn't want to have to interact with all these people. So when Jesus says, I've got to go through Samaria, there's this idea, right? The Jewish people reading this would have understood this is out of the ordinary. This is not a normal thing, right? Jesus is intentionally going out of his way to share the gospel with somebody that's never heard, right? That's a truth we need to understand. And so we get this idea that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. In fact, one writer said it like this, hatred and distrust between the Israelites and the Samaritans went back over 500 years to Israel's return from exile in Babylon. So the, the followers of Jesus, these Jews, saw Samaritans the way that many Israelis today see Palestinians and vice versa, right? They didn't like each other. They didn't get along. There's no way in a normal day they would have interacted like they did at the well. So it's already a little bit different. But then you take into account the fact that during that time, culturally, it would have been inappropriate for a man to talk to a woman alone in public. 
Right? When we go to other parts of the world, when we go to South Asia especially, it's still similar to this. So we have to be careful. Right? Because we're, we're used to interacting with people here. And when we go there and we interact with missionaries, if they're women that are involved, we have to be careful as men how we interact in public. Because people notice there. Very different than it is here. And so you've got this Samaritan woman, this Jewish man. You've got the fact that there's a woman by herself at a well, a man who's by himself. This just isn't adding up. It's very odd. Stack on top of that the fact we see later in the text that this woman was probably living a life she shouldn't have lived. She'd been married several times. She'd committed adultery according to Scripture several times. She came to the well midday. Most women would have come early or late in groups. She was alone at the wrong time of the day. You get all this weird stuff, right? Jews, Samaritans, man, woman, alone. This woman was living a life she shouldn't have lived. She came as an outcast. She came in a place she should never be in, speaking to a man she should have never spoken to. And so we kind of get this idea of this contrast here about what's going on between Jesus and this woman, right? But I want to add to that contrast. The the plot's going to thicken a little bit. Because let's be reminded of John chapter 3. Jesus has just left Jerusalem, and he's speaking to, you remember, Nicodemus. John did a great job last week in walking us through that text. And we think about Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is this man who was a religious leader. He was powerful. He had clout. He had influence. He was important. He was wealthy. He is socially elite, right? And so you kind of get this idea between John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. There could not have been a bigger divide between Nicodemus and the woman at the well, right? They're 180 degrees apart. Here's how one writer explained it. Nicodemus and the unnamed Samaritan woman are as different as they could be. He was a Jewish man. She was a Samaritan woman. He was educated and orthodox in the Jewish faith. She was uneducated and unorthodox. He was an influential leader. She was a nobody. He was upper middle class. She was lower class. He was morally upright. She was immoral. He sought out Jesus because he recognized his merits. She had no idea who the stranger at the well was who sought her out. He came to Jesus at night. Jesus and the woman met at noon. Nicodemus responded slowly and rationally. She responded quickly and emotionally. Watch, but Jesus loved both of them. He came to seek and save all types of people. You say, what does this mean, this contrast, these differences? Here's what it means. The message of salvation is for everyone. The message of salvation is for everyone. And so whether you're in here live or you're at home watching or you're in our overflow, you need to understand something. Some of y'all may be at the top of that list, wealthy, powerful, influential. Others of y'all may be down here at the bottom, no, no money, no clout, no influence, maybe living in some ways you shouldn't be living. Maybe some of the others of y'all are somewhere in the middle. Here's what you need to get. It doesn't matter where you are. The truth of the gospel is for everyone. And so watch now, at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. Doesn't matter the language you speak. 
doesn't matter your cultural background, doesn't matter where you were born, doesn't matter what sins you committed in the past, doesn't matter any of those things. Nothing of that matters to Jesus. When we come to the cross, we see that the message of salvation is for all who believe. You know, God from the beginning has been in the business of using people that were less than perfect. Did you know that? One thing I love about studying through Scripture because I sometimes feel like some of these people. Some of these people that, that God really used were messed up. You think about David and all David did, adultery, murder, lie, all the things that we see as kind of these horrific sins that he committed, right? And yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Right? Moses killed a man before he fled, ran from the authorities, hid out in the desert, lied about it, questioned God, and yet God used him to save the people of Israel. Paul persecuted Christians, hated Christians, hated the church, did everything he could to destroy the church. The Lord miraculously saved him. He writes most of the New Testament. On and on and on these stories go. And, and so I hope kind of no matter where you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you're living in right now, maybe you're a believer. Maybe you've been a Christian for a number of years, but you've wandered a little bit, or you've questioned a little bit, or you're uncertain a little bit about how the Lord can still use you. He can and he will. The living water is for all who believe. Now look at verse 7 again. I want you to notice how Jesus phrases this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you a Jew? Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. Right? She gets it. She understands, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Skip down to verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water, water that I will give will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. Right, living water is for all who believe. It's for everyone. But here's the second thing I want you to get, number two. Living water is a gift. Living water that Jesus offers is a gift. He says it right there in verse 10. He says it twice again in verse 14. We understand that Jesus is offering to us this precious gift. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, Follow me, drink of this water, and from you will flow eternal life. Now, here's what we need to understand. This is the confusion we have sometimes, and I have these conversations pretty regularly with people, right? It's not about religion. It's not about rote doing this and doing that, right? It's not about rituals. It's not about work. It's not about how much good you can do versus how much bad you can do, right? We get that confused sometimes, we misunderstand the teaching of Scripture. Sometimes the, the flesh kind of overcomes our lives, and we think, if I can just do some good things, the Lord will like me more. If I do some bad things, He's not going to like me as much. We miss this idea of a gift. Right? We give gifts to people because we care about them, because we love them, not because they've earned it. There's a difference. 
Hopefully at Christmas you don't have this checklist of all the people who have done nice things for you. Right? You give them numbers. Well, Adam said something nice to me. That's two check marks, right? And the more check marks I get, the nicer my gift. And the fewer check marks, the fewer, the, the, the worse. Hopefully we don't, we don't think like that, right? We think I'm going to give gifts. I love these people. I want to show them that I love them. There's nothing they can do to earn this gift. I'm going to freely give it to them, right? That's what salvation is for us. Right, salvation is this gift. That's what grace is. You haven't earned it. You cannot earn it. You need to stop trying to earn it. It's a free gift for all who believe. And so we, we see this idea, this gift, it means that we have eternal life. It means that we have hope and peace. It means that we have life abundantly here and hereafter. That's what scripture teaches. It's a foundation upon which we build our lives. And when you start thinking about the idea of hope and love and joy and life and life abundantly, those are all the things the world's looking for. Did you know that? I would say go in the bookstore. There are very few bookstores anymore, but go on Amazon and search all the self-help books, right? People are looking for hope. They're looking for joy. They're looking for peace. They're looking at how to fix broken relationships. Right? They're looking for all the things that Jesus offers. And he says to us, listen, I've given this to you. I've given this to you. I've offered this living water to you. If you will drink of this water, you will never thirst again. I love it because this is something that the prophets looked to. They looked ahead to this. You know how we talk about the Old Testament looking ahead to Jesus? We, we see this idea pop up in several Old Testament texts. For example, Zechariah chapter 14 Verse 7 8, looking ahead to Jesus. And there shall be a unique day, he says. Verse 8, on that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem. He's looking ahead. Jesus is going to give this gift of eternal life, this living water. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, listen, and have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water, right? We see this today still, don't we, right? People are trying to dig their own wells. They're trying to figure things out themselves. I can do this. I can do that. I can earn this. I can get this job. I can do this. I can do that. And all these things we're doing, we're thinking if we can just get a little bit more, do a little bit more, a little more education, get a little smarter, whatever the case may be, if we can do this, we'll dig our own well and everything will be fine. And Jesus says, listen, if you continue to do that, you're going to be thirsty again because it's never enough, right? But if you'll trust me and you'll drink from this well of living water, you'll never thirst again. One writer said it like this, speaking of the people of the Old Testament. They have rejected the fresh running supply of God and His faithful goodness, choosing instead the stagnant waters of cisterns they themselves prepared, discovering even then that their cisterns were cracked and leaving them with nothing to sustain life and blessing. Now, you may think you can dig your own wells and drink your own water of life, but you're mistaken because you're going to thirst again. Jesus says, I'm offering you this free gift of life and life abundant. Let's see where this goes. Look at verse 16. Now, things are about to change for this woman, right? They're having an interesting discussion. 
He's gone from the physical to the spiritual. He's helping her understand the gift, what this is going to mean. She's still not sure who this dude is, though. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now this woman knows something's up. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Right? Speaking of the temple, where she couldn't go. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming... And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just a little side note before we jump a little farther here. All those people that make these silly arguments that Jesus never claimed to be God, Jesus never claimed to be Messiah, this is one of many texts you can show them. Jesus here is claiming to be Messiah. Verse 25, Messiah is coming. Verse 26, I who speak to you am he. Just then, verse 27, the disciples come back. Right, They've been out, they've been buying food. They show back up. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, right? Like, what, what is going on here? Samaritan woman. All the things that we talked about, they knew. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out to the town and were coming to him. Skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world, right? So living water is available to all who will believe. Living water is a free gift, can't earn it. And truth number three, living water is life-changing, right? It not only affects the people that hear it, but affects the people around as well. And we see example after example in Scripture where someone has received Christ, someone has heard the good news, they go and share, and because of their faithfulness, other lives are changed. And so we ask ourselves the question, what am I doing to share the good news of Jesus Christ? It's life-giving water. It's life-giving water. All the things the world's looking for, hope and joy and peace and love and acceptance and forgiveness, all the things that the world writes barrels of ink worth of books about. Jesus is 
And so we've been given this great opportunity and this great challenge to go and to share and to make his name known. Now, you should have received when you came in this morning or maybe last week one of these little mission trip cards. It's got a list of all the upcoming trips, and there's some others in the works. We'll add some to this. If you're interested in one of those, you take the little card in the seat back in front where you're sitting, scan the QR code, push the little thing that says, I'm interested in mission trips, sign up, we'll get some more information to you. But I want you to hear me when I say this. You are called, you are compelled by Scripture to share your faith. That might be on a mission trip. That might mean you get on an airplane, fly somewhere around the world, share your faith with somebody who doesn't look anything like you, speaks a totally different language, has a completely different culture. Praise the Lord, we need to continue to send those kind of people, and we will. But you don't have to get on an airplane to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Some of y'all are like, I, I, I can't go to Africa, I can't go to uh, Asia, I can't go to Central America, I can't go to Europe, I can't go to those places for X reason. Fine. You can walk across the street and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. So the challenge for us becomes, what, what are we doing to share our faith? What are we doing intentionally, right? What are we doing intentionally to speak to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Watch, let's take it a step farther. What are we doing intentionally to go out of our way? Right? I got to go through Samaria. What are we doing to speak to people that are not like us? I got to talk to this Samaritan woman. What are we doing to take the conversation that's normal, the physical water, and turn it to the spiritual water, the living water? What are we doing to intentionally live our lives to honor Christ? You know, we, we, we saw this video. Actually, I think we saw it last service from the, from the baptism last week. She was sharing about how Jesus died on the cross, and if he died on the cross for me, what can I do for him? That's a great question. If Jesus is willing to sacrifice all for me, why can't I sacrifice all for him? Jesus calls us to do great things. And we know that everywhere we look, there are people in need of Jesus. I want to challenge you this morning. We're about to have this time of invitation. I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to take the truths that you've heard, the idea of the living water and all available to all. It's a free gift. It's life-changing. It brings us hope and joy and peace and all the things we know about. I want you to think about all those things, and I want you to pray that the Lord will reveal to you somebody in your life that doesn't have those things. Somebody in your life that needs to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. During our time of invitation here in just a second, I want you to pray specifically that God would reveal that person to you. And when he does, I want you to pray specifically that he would give you the courage to go out of your way to share the living water with them. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you for the clarity, Lord, of this text. We see every week that when we take the time to study it, and spend time pouring over it, your truth is clear, Lord. It's truth. It's powerful. It's real. It's life-changing. And so right now, Lord, reveal to us within our hearts, within our minds, that person or maybe that family that doesn't yet know Jesus. Give us the courage and the strength to be intentional this week to not only pray for that person or that family 
but to be willing to share our faith, to go out of our way, to turn a normal conversation from the physical to the spiritual, to talk about the life-giving water of Jesus, and to make an impact eternally on that person for your honor and for your glory. Father, give us the strength, encourage us, challenge us. Do these things. We'll give you the praise and the honor. In Jesus' name.